kind of a frightening thought. Most of us think of ourselves as pretty much like other people. We have the same needs, we have the same desires, we're conditioned in the same ways. But the scripture says that we are not the same. That once we are in the kingdom of God, we are very, very different. This summer, I'm going to be preaching through the book of First Peter. And I just want to take the first two verses because it is to Christians that Paul writes, or Peter writes this letter. And I want to identify very succinctly and very definitely who the audience is that can hear the spiritual principles in this book. The first two verses. And this is from the King James simply because I, I like this uh, particular, these particular words a little bit better uh, than uh, the other versions. Uh, some Sundays I will not read from King James. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, many of you have in your scriptures chosen, I like the word elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I want to talk about election this morning, what it is to be the elect. I want to talk about the process of election. I want to talk about the position of election. I want to talk about the perspective of election. And I want to talk about the planting of election. First of all, the process of election. Let's, let's just kind of take a scattergun approach to this scripture, shall we? And let's talk about the end of it first. Let's talk about through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, that is how people are elected. And one of the things that those, those of us who are used to worldly ways think about elections is that you're elected by a vote. That the more people who says you are, then you are. That's not how things happen in Scripture. Things happen by a personal de decision connected with the way of God. We become a part of the elect because we have decided to become sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, we have decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. Not just believe in Him. Satan believes in Jesus Christ. The demons proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The elect are the people who have decided to follow Him. Now, I want you to know that this Greek term that they have translated sprinkling comes from the Old Testament, of course, the, 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 the uh, passages whenever they would sin, they would kill an animal vicariously in sorrow for their sins. They would sacrifice that animal, burn that animal, and the smoke would go up to heaven, and they would be represented, represented in that death. They wanted to, to die to that sin. And so that sacrifice, the sprinkling of that blood, would be to ask for forgiveness, would be to empower them with strength unto obedience. And every time they sinned, they had to do that over and over again. 
Well, the gospel says that Jesus Christ is the one sacrifice. But I want you to notice that in this particular word, the, the word sprinkling has a, uh, the, the verb tense here, the meaning has something to do with not just that he gives us his stamp of approval and we're okay from then on, not just as if we were vaccinated one time and we will never be infected again, but there's kind of a time release concept here. You ever seen those commercials on TV where they have, uh, they don't give you an aspirin just in one shot white powder. They give you a whole little bunch of little capsules and those things are supposed to stay in your body and go off as they have need. That is the type of sprinkling, the innuendo of the Greek, that there is a time release. Yeah, it was all done at once. When we believed in Jesus Christ, we became a part of the elect. It was all done at once. But that did not shield us invulnerable from future need of the sprinkling of his blood. There's a time release in there, and every time we have need, it goes off again. And then there's another phrase in there, the sanctification of his spirit. Now, don't leave off this next part, unto obedience. There is a formula there. Someday we're going to... Uh, <clears throat> try to herd kids at, a, at various times uh, quietly. Um, I, don't know, I don't know the system yet, but we will do it. The reason for that, incidentally, is not because I'm so formal, is because I'm so easily distracted. My attention span is only about this long. Um, um, oh, yeah, sanctification of spirit. Uh, the reason that we can be the elect and that we are assured of being the elect is that we are sanctified by his Holy Spirit unto obedience. Now, what that means is we have no power to be obedient by ourselves. We can be nice by ourselves. I have met so many nice people in this community and they are great and they are loving and some of the nicest people I've ever met are some of the people who only incidentally believe in God. We can be nice by ourselves, but we cannot be obedient by ourselves. We cannot be the elect by ourselves. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit doing something supernatural in us and he helps us be obedient. Now here we come to the from the foreknowledge of God, it says, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole nine yards this morning about how foreknowledge is different and election is different than from predestination. But let me just tell you this morning that the Bible has this kind of election in full cooperation with human free will. And sometimes that's a mystery to us to understand, but God knows before we ever commit our life to Jesus Christ, that that's exactly what we're going to do. And yet we have full freedom not to do that. Now, I have a human example of that. I remember the first time I ever called up my wife for a date. I had moved to another church. I had been her minister for a year. I had moved to another church. And I didn't really call very many people up for dates because I was more afraid than the average bear of rejection. I could not stand rejection, especially when they laughed. I didn't like when they laughed. <laughs> so anyhow, I kind of had queasiness about calling her up. And the thing that doubled my queasiness is that I had been her minister for a year. 
and I didn't know whether or not I could live up to a ministerial date or live down to a ministerial date. Let's, let's, be, let's be real honest. A date with your minister is probably not the most fun evening you've ever had in your entire life. So I wrestled myself all around the room before I had nerve enough to put my finger in that dial. And when I put my finger in that dial, I was just saying, Lord, let her answer. Well, the Lord laughed and her little brother answered. He answered, Beeson's. And I said, is Becky there? He said, no. I said, well, tell her that uh, Reverend Hunter called. And he said, oh yeah, she told me to tell you when you call to call back later because she wants to talk to you. And I hung up the phone and I repeated the words, when I call. I had just spent half the night wrestling myself around the room trying to decide whether or not to call her, trying to get up the nerve, and the first words out of his mouth, oh yeah, when you called, she said, give this message to you. There was a foreknowledge there that I didn't have myself. See, I thought that was free will, and it was. But she knew I was gonna call that night. She'd left a message for me when I called. Now, a lot of us wrestle ourselves all around trying to decide whether or not we can ever live up to being a disciple of Jesus Christ before we ever make the decision. And we want guarantees. We want guarantees not for ourselves but for God because we don't want to embarrass Him. And we don't know whether or not we should make that commitment until we can guarantee ourselves that we are not going to be hypocrites and that we are not going to fail Him because we don't want to look at ourselves as reject. But let me tell you something. God is waiting on you. You don't have to be afraid of rejection because you are already in his plan. Just like I was already in my wife's plan before I ever knew it. By the way, our whole thing, our whole life has been like that. She's always known what I was gonna do before I did it. That's not unusual for our relationship. So when you are committing your life to Jesus Christ, don't wrestle yourself around thinking, I might be rejected here, I might not make it, I might be embarrassed. God is waiting on you. You are already included with him. And when you make that commitment to Jesus Christ, if you've not made it yet, you can just hear him say, I was just wondering when. Okay, let's go on then. I want to talk about the position of election. I want you to know that for Christians, your power to overcome suffering, and by the way, this epistle is written to Christians who are suffering. And we're going to be talking about human suffering this summer and how you can have victory in suffering. And I want you to know that as a chosen person, as an elect person, as a person who has decided, has become elect in Jesus Christ, the, uh, Ephesians 1.4 said, for we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. See, God knew you were going to make that decision before you ever made it. Before you were ever born, he knew you were going to make it. But the power and the victory do not come from who you are or what you are or what you've done. See, that's so different from the world. 
When we're strangers and aliens, it's not that we, are, we have a different thought process. It's that our eyes, our citizenship, our allegiance is from someplace else. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. You've heard that before, haven't you? Your position determines your source of strength. Your election is from God. And I don't know why we can't realize that. You know how, how much of the time we run around trying to please people or trying to get people to affirm us? Well, it's okay to please people, but they aren't the ones that elected us. You've got to please God. That's the important thing. Do you know that if you try to please people, you will almost always fail? Because there is no way you can please everybody. You realize that? But do you know if you try to please God, there is no way you can fail? You are predisposed to success. God will take whatever sacrifice you sincerely give him. If you try to please people, you're going to fail. That's just how people are. Nobody will like everything you do. You try to please God, you're going to succeed. It's just that simple. Our election is from Him, so we ought to be trying to please Him. But our victory comes from our position, from our new citizenship. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are on solid ground for the first time. A couple years ago, I read a cute story in uh, Reader's Digest. Sounds like it was true. I don't know. But it's about this huge naval vessel out cruising the waters, armed to the teeth. It was, they were in a deep fog, and somebody saw a light dead ahead of them that matched their light. And they assumed it was another, another naval vessel. So the captain immediately had a wire sent out to that ship change your course 10 degrees to the south. Immediately reply came back, change your course 10 degrees to the north. Made the captain angry. He wired back. He said, change your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a captain. He received an immediate re reply. Change your course 10 degrees to the north. I'm a seaman first class. That really set him on. He wired back. Change your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The reply came back. Change your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Now look, rank doesn't do it, does it? And power doesn't do it. Not by power, not by mind. Our position is what gives us victory. When we are on solid ground, we need fear nothing. Not because of who we are over who somebody else is, but simply because we're standing in something that cannot be refuted. When the scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? The scripture's not talking about teaming up might against somebody else. 
The scripture is talking about your simple position resting in the arms of Almighty God. When the scripture talks about being citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20 says our, and I love this, in King James it says our conversation is with God. Other, other versions say our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven or we belong in the kingdom of heaven, but I love this, our conversation is with God. And so what the Bible tells us is that we are solid in our position. It doesn't matter who we are, but it does matter where we stand. And when you stand with Jesus Christ, you need fear nothing. Now I want to talk about the perspective of election. The Bible uses the phrase peripitomos, the Greek word peripitomos, and what that means is, literally, strangers traveling in a land that is foreign to them or among a people who do not speak the same language they do. That's why the tape from Sharon Beasley was so appropriate this morning. Para is a, the, 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 the uh, prefix means against or clashing. Epita means a journey. And demos comes from the word we get democracy. means people, gathered people. So it's clashing in a journey among people that are not like us or that don't go along with us smoothly. And what I want to say to you this morning is something that you probably have already felt. As you grow more and more as Christians, you are less and less comfortable about things that never disturbed you before. You can't quite laugh at all the things you used to laugh at because they're, they're not all that funny anymore. The people that you used to love to hang around because they had no boundaries. I mean, they were, they were live wires. And boy, they used, to just be, they used to be so much fun. There's just a little check that goes off in your spirit, you know, when you're around them. And it makes you uncomfortable. And you never want to show them that. Because let me tell you something. Don't ever, ever expect, you're the one that's changed, not them. Don't ever expect this world to be Christian or have Christian values. Don't expect them to have the same kind of sense of humor that you have. That's where we get crushed. We get changed and we believe everybody else ought to have our values. They're not the ones that changed. We're the ones that changed. So don't expect that until they buy that for themselves. But what I'm trying to say is here, there's a, there's a different perspective. You literally... When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are different. And you can't explain it. After a while, you begin to have a sense of who your brother or sister in the spirit is and who is not. And you don't look down on those people who are not. You just are able to relax more with somebody who is in the same ballpark you are. It does cost you to become a Christian. It interrupts, it causes you some strain it interrupts some beautiful relationships you used to have. You can't look at TV anymore without feeling a little queasy about it or wondering if your kids ought to watch that particular program or feeling like if they do watch it, you probably ought to talk to them about that afterwards. See, it's work being a Christian. It is hard being a Christian. That's why there are so many people who decide not to follow Christ because it is not easy. But it is reality. I've had the privilege of knowing three different girls 
who have found that they were with child, they were in high school, and they had enough of a relationship with God that they prayed about abortion and God said no. And they have had the courage to carry those children. And as, if I, as I have talked with those girls along those, the, the, the terms of their pregnancy and tried to support them and love them, all three of those girls have had the same kind of discovery. They say, you know, when I used to go to school, we used to talk about all kinds of stuff, just had a ball. You know, we, we talked about, you know, Willie and how he got his hair cut, and we talked about, you know, so-and-so wore, wore two different color socks the other day, and we just rip-roar and have a ball and all that kind of stuff. But she said, they said, you know, as I have continued in those relationships, I found how superfluous that conversation is. That stuff doesn't matter to me anymore because I have found something so much more important and I, my perspective has changed so much, I cannot be really a part of that group anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with them, bless their hearts, that's still their carefree world. But I have another life that is continually on my mind and I can't care whether or not somebody wears purple bows with a green dress. It doesn't matter to me anymore. When you become a Christian, a lot of the conversation that used to seem so important doesn't seem important anymore. There's a different perspective of the elect. And you don't put other people down for their conversation. It's just that you have been taken out of that ballpark. So don't be surprised and don't start putting them down as a signal to start putting them down for their conversation because the elect are apart, but not aloof. Now remember that. The elect are apart, but not aloof. There's a different perspective. You are a stranger, and you are among people who do not speak the same language. Now it would seem from that that Christians ought to just gather together in little villages and live out life separate from the world wouldn't it? Take another look at your scripture. It says to the strangers or the aliens or however you want to put it, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Why is it that God leaves us in this world? Why don't he just take us home? I was riding down the highway the other day and I saw this bumper sticker that said, Beam me up, Scotty. I find no intelligent life here. <laughs> why, it, why isn't it that after you're saved, he doesn't beam you up? You know, why does he scatter us? In the first place, I want you to know that God's plan is for us to be scattered. God's plan is for you to live in the midst of non-Christians. God knew the world well enough to know that all he had to do was plant one group of people and they would end up all over the world because that's the way of the world. The world pulls us apart. And the world separates. That's the way the world, that's the way we're most comfortable. When you're in the world and you're having a, you're having a conversation with another person about a third person, usually that third person gets separated from you. You start talking, make some derogatory remark about that third person. 
That's a worldly conversation. And so God knew that the very nature of the world was to pull us apart and to scatter us, and he just let that happen, didn't he? God doesn't want us to pull out of the world. God wants to plant us, the planting of election. He wants us to know that we can't abandon this world because guess what? This is ours. We seem like the strangers, but this is your father's world. And there will be Christians living in this world until time is no more. Remember the phrase in your Bible, the meek shall inherit, where are they going to inherit? The earth. And when Jesus Christ comes again and reigns for a thousand years, who's he going to reign over? Christians. You think he's going to pull all of the Christians out of here in the rapture? And there's going to be nothing but heathen. Christ can't rule over heathen. They don't obey him. When there is a thousand years of Christ's reign in this world, this world is going to be full of Christians. This is your world. And you need to recognize right now that the reason that you work in the midst of people who are different than you are, and you can't pull out of this world, and you can't start talking junky about this world because you're talking about your own world. I heard one more story, and I'll quit. I can't get used to the new time frame here. I can't... My uh, I'm used to quitting real quick and because the, the last church I was in, we had three Sunday morning services and you had an hour for all of it or 45, 45 minutes, wasn't it, hun? 45 minutes for all of it or the rest of them were on the back door going like this. So I can't get used to just having some time to talk to you with you about Scripture, but I will get used to it. But I want you to know this is your world. And I want you to be very careful about how you build in it and how you treat it and how much you respect it. There was a builder, a millionaire, who went to one of his foremen. And he knew this foreman did not have very long until he would retire. He went to this foreman and he said, I'm going to give you 600 thousand dollars to build me the nicest house you can possibly build me and that foreman had worked for this guy for a long time and he said okay I'll agree to do that he just handed him the check for six hundred thousand dollars and he said you can put whatever is necessary in that house to make it a lovely house and you can just keep the rest well, I want you to know that Satan entered into that man's heart right there. And he was thinking, boy, I've been in a, I've been in a builder. I've, I've known how to build for a long time. I know all the tricks of the trade. I know how to cut all of the corners. This one last house that I'm going to build, and then I'll retire. I can just build any old way I want because I won't have accountability for it. And then I can keep all the excess. Now, you know the end of this story before I even get to it, don't you? He cut every corner he could, so much so, and got the cheapest possible supplies so that he could have the excess off that $600,000. So much so that that house was just barely safe to live in because he knew all the tricks. And then he went to his employer and he said, I'm done. 
And his employer handed him the keys to that house and said, my brother, I love you and I want you to have that to live in that house for your retirement. It matters how you treat this world because you live in this world. This is your world and it's going to be your children's world and your children's children's world. And so therefore God wants us to be planted to call more and more people into his kingdom because we're going to live here for a long, long time. That's what it means to be the elect. It's not to be aloof. It's simply to be different for the purpose of God. Now, before we say a prayer, let me just share with you that I will from time to time in these services do something a little different than you're used to. When I said last week that nobody comes to church as a group, everybody comes with individual needs, I meant that from time to time on different Sundays, God is going to speak a need to your heart as an individual. And you might need another Christian to pray right then with you about that need. And I don't want the opportunities to go by for that prayer. Because just saying, oh, if they really need me, they'll call me up during the week to pray with them about a need is way too idealistic. So I want to take some time during many of the worship services, and sometimes it'll be right after the worship services, but they will, there will always be an opportunity for you to pray with another Christian about what God is laying on your heart. If some of you have always believed in Jesus Christ, but have never committed your life to follow Him, you come and pray with another Christian about that, and then you can know for sure that it's happened. If some of you have a real deep hurt or a real deep need, it is not fair to have you come and just sit in silent suffering and never be able to tell another Christian about that and have that other Christian support you in that need. We want you to have that opportunity in worship services. If some of you have a burden for another Christian and you want somebody to agree with you that God is going to help in that, then sometimes God will move it in your heart to come forward and have prayer with another Christian. This is not a blanket, you better get saved now or here else, uh, or else uh, you're in a lot of trouble. It is not one of those things where we lay a lot of guilt every Sunday that says, boy, you better be part of the elect or you're certainly one of the lost. None of that. It's simply something where we want the Spirit of God to work individually. And if he's calling you to ask another Christian to help you to pray about something, simply want you to be obedient. Whatever that need is, we want to provide that time for you. Today, during the coming songs, I'll be sitting over here in one of these chairs, and if anybody wants to come say prayer about anything, let me have the privilege of praying with you. And if there's more than a few of you, the, the other elders who are the spiritual leaders of the church will be glad to get up and help you pray and directly ask God for something He is doing individually in your life. Let's pray right now. Father, we ask you simply to soften us. 
do not let us get hard toward you who only want the best, who love us, who care for us more than we care for ourselves. Soften us. And if you have some direction for us as individuals this morning, some certain leading, Father, let us respond. If we are, res if we are to respond where we sit while we sing, let us do that. And go out of here determined, Lord, to live that out immediately. If you are urging us to pray with another Christian so that we can see that it is concrete and we have voiced it, then Father, lead us and help us to be obedient to pray with some other Christian. We pray in the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Now to remind you of your um, citizenship and to remind you that you are only strangers in this world and not strangers in the commonwealth of God. Um, there will be a scripture reading out of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. And then we will proceed with singing. If you would like to stand during these, it might help you worship God better. Um, and that would be fine. Mike. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone.